Bible to Proverbs chapter 3, or chap, uh, chapter 30, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30, um, I want to speak on the wisdom of the hyrax. You might remember a few weeks ago, uh, out of Proverbs 30, I talked about the wisdom of the gecko lizard, and I was just blown away by how many people emailed or personally complimented me on that message. Uh, they said, man, there was so much there that we could apply to our everyday life. And that's always my goal, is to give you things that will help you during the week, practical teaching. And uh, so we talked about the, the lizard, and based upon your response to that, I want to go back and revisit this uh, passage of Scripture, and I've taken another one of the four animals that Solomon outlines here as being exceedingly wise, and uh, we're going to learn a little something about being victorious in our Christian life from the life of the Hyrax. Proverbs chapter 30, beginning with verse number 24. There are four things on earth that are small, but unusually wise. Ants, they aren't strong, but they store up food all summer long. Hyraxes, they aren't powerful, but they make their homes among the rocks. Locusts, they have no king, but they march in formation. And then lizards, who are easy to catch, but they're found even in king's places. Sometimes we think we have to be strong or powerful to make an impact in the kingdom of God. But the scripture here says hyraxes aren't powerful, but they make their home among one who is powerful, upon the rocks. The rock to us represents Jesus Christ. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our high tower. So we're going to learn something about hyraxes today. Out of those four, you're probably acquainted with three of them. In fact, almost any uh, typical garden in the United States, you could probably find a lizard or maybe a locust or an ant. But in order to find a hyrax, you'd have to go to the Middle East or to Africa. They have hyraxes in the rocky plateaus of Eastern Africa. In fact, one of our global partners, Sue Cochran, uh, who serves YWAM in, in South Africa, uh, commented between services that she's actually seen hyraxes along with the penguins on the beaches of South Africa. But they're an unusual animal, not one that we're acquainted with here in Wenatchee. What is a hyrax? Well, they didn't know back in the early 17th century when they translated the King James Version because they had a European mindset. They knew about, you know, animals in the United Kingdom, but they had no idea what this unique animal was to the, the mid-eastern part of the world. So they actually used the word coney. Now, depending on your translations, other translators have used the word badger or maybe even rabbit, but the correct proper English word for this animal that we're studying this morning is hyrax. And the hyrax looks a little bit like a rabbit or maybe a badger or a rodent, maybe even a, I don't know, 
a guinea pig on steroids, maybe. I, I mean, they're, they're unusual kind of animals. Like, you look real close. You can't see it in this picture, but they have tusk. They have a little tusk. And the reason for that is they are most closely related, believe it or not, to the elephant family, the hyrax. Now, one thing about the hyrax, they spend about 95% of their time just chilling. They like to hang out. Now, don't get me wrong, that is not why the Bible says they're wise, okay? There are some reasons the Bible say that they're wise, but they do like to just kind of hang out. They're quite small. In fact, the biggest hyraxes are about maybe 18 inches to 2 feet long. What's interesting about them is they communicate with 21 identifiable vocalizations. So scientists have studied them and identified 21 different ways that they communicate with one another. There's yips, there's grunts, there's wails, there's even kind of a pig-like snort that they use, and they also whistle. So they have this wonderful way of communicating one with another. And another interesting, unique feature about the hyrax is their feet. They have padded feet, and God has made those feet to be very sweaty. So they sweat a lot, but with the padded feet and the sweat, it creates this suction-like quality. So hyraxes are very sure-footed rock climbers. They can climb up or scurry up a, a cliff of rocks because of this unique way that God made their feet. And it works well in their, you know, uh, uh, to their advantage. Now, what does Solomon say specifically about them? They're not powerful, not like a lion or something, but they're wise because they make their homes among the rocks. Here's what this verse is saying. The wisdom of the hyrax is that it knows what to take to survive. And not just survive, but actually thrive. You could know, or you could say that the hyrax knows how to live the good life. Because they've developed some things that I think we can learn from as members of the body of Christ. Now the fact is these hyraxes have more than a share of predators. Cobras, pythons, love these little buggers. Mountain lions, wolves, but especially eagles. So they always have to be on the alert. You know, they have to be looking in front of them, they have to be looking to the side, they even have to be looking up because there's predators all around them. Much like you and I in the world today. The Bible says we need to be alert because Satan prowls around to and fro like a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. See, friends, we live in this constant battlefield of a spiritual warfare. God wants to bless us with abundance, with salvation, with health, with prosperity, with peace, with joy. But Satan is out to kill, rob, steal, and destroy. And he'll find every little chink in our armor to take back 
what Jesus purchased for us on Calvary. So like the Hyrex, you and I have predators. We have the predators of the enemy. We have the predators of the world and the peer pressure of living in this consumer-driven culture that we know as America, where you just make, you build, you, you succeed. We also have the predators of our own heart, whether that be pride or jealousy or lust or anger. So we have predators just like the Hyrax has predators. You can check that out in 1 Peter where it says that Satan does come like a roaring lion. But remember, our predators are never flesh and blood. The Bible is very clear about that. We don't wrestle against people. We wrestle against principalities and the powers of darkness. However, in spite of the fact that we live in this spiritual war zone, the truth is we can survive. And not just survive, like the Hyrex, we can thrive if we consider the wisdom from this little animal that the Holy Spirit of God put into Solomon's heart thousands of years ago to write about in Proverbs chapter 30. The Hyrex has this wonderful system in place. They have... Um, strategic checkpoints to ensure that they're taken care of as a community of faith. And that's what I want to explore this morning. Three levels of security that Hyraxes enjoy, but three levels of security that you and I, every person in the family of God, should also enjoy. And the first is they know who to listen to. 27 different sounds, yet they, or 21 different sounds, yet they know who to listen to. You and I are bombarded with messages, all sorts of messages. Have it your way. Do this, do that. Don't worry about that person. We're bombarded by spiritual messages. We're bombarded by warnings. We're bombarded by people who think that they know what's best for our life. The Hyrex understands that you can't always listen to everything around you. And one of the vocalizations that a Hyrex has is a warning cry. And they hear it from a sentry. Now get this. The Hyrex community, which is usually a group of Hyrexes together will post a sentry outside their den, outside their dwelling place, to keep a lookout for predators. So when a predator is spotted, the sentry wails out or whistles out or grunts out, whatever it is, but it's one of those 21 identifiable sounds to say, hey, there's danger. Pay attention. Now, we're encountered every day by warnings. And some of them are just so ordinary and so routine that we kind of tend to become immune. Some of them are downright silly. You know, like your cup of hot coffee that says, warning, this beverage is hot. I mean, shouldn't we know that? 
I read this week that there's this uh, T-shirt iron-on transfer, you know, that you can get. You have a plain T-shirt, you iron on a transfer. And no kidding, the consumer agencies have required this T-shirt company or this uh, transfer company to put this warning, do not iron while wearing shirt. <laughs> like someone's going to put a T-shirt on and then put the transfer and get an iron? You know, hey, I've got nothing against tort attorneys, but man, I tell you, the lawyers, have, have, it's, it's crazy, the society we live in. And so you know what happens? We become a little immune to warnings. And as Christians, we need to be careful that we don't become immune to the warnings that are very clear in the Word of God. We cannot ignore the sentry of our soul who is the Holy Spirit, who warns us against certain things that are going to destroy our life. The warnings are not there because God doesn't want us to enjoy abundant life. Just the opposite is true. The warnings are there because God knows that adultery will destroy you. God knows that drunkenness will destroy families and homes. God knows that unforgiveness and bitterness in your spirit will eat you from the inside out. We need to heed certain warnings. Man, if you go to the doctor and he says, listen, you are headed for a heart attack in the next six months if you don't change your lifestyle. Most of us would do whatever that doctor tells us to do. Man, if your spouse says to you, now listen, I'm serious, we need to sit down and talk. Most of us take that warning seriously if we value that relationship. So as Christians, we cannot ignore the warnings of the Scripture. The wise among our Christian community needs to know who the sentry is. We need to recognize the voice of the sentry. And as we learned last week, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit that directs us into all truth. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, either in the depths of our spirit or through the Word of God or through a television evangelist or through a pastor or through a small group leader, we need to be wise and we need to heed that warning. Years ago, and I've used this example many times, and the reason I use it is because it touched my heart. It was done in such love. We're going through a difficult time as a church. And Mike Arrow, who's still here, still faithful, there he is sitting with his wife. Mike said, Jerry, we should have coffee. That wasn't unusual in itself. When I got there, Mike said, you know, Jerry, I love you, and I respect you, and Jerry, I'll always support you as my pastor. But I think because of the situation, you're not seeing things really clearly right now. Your, your vision is a little bit skewed on this particular situation. And because I'm your friend and your brother, I just want to warn you. It was done in such a way, it was not done in condemnation. It was done like a sentry. Like, watch out, Jerry. You're going to walk off of a cliff if you're not careful because you're not seeing things correctly. 
Oh, man, I need those kind of warnings from those around me who are loving, who are supportive. I need those warnings from the Scripture. Even if I don't understand the warnings, I need to believe the Word of God and believe that what it says is going to be best for my life. And the Bible is full of warnings. And sometimes we ignore them. Don't let bitterness grow in your heart. Don't compromise with sin. Don't underestimate the destruction of sexual immorality. Don't underestimate the dangers of having an anger issue that you can't control. Don't underestimate what pride will do to you when you think that you see everything right and everybody else is wrong. Heed the warnings. The Hyrax knows how to survive and even thrive because in the midst of all the chatter of the community, their ear is tuned to the sentry who will say there's a predator ahead. The second thing we can learn from the Hyrax is that they stay connected. They not only heed warnings, they not only know who to listen to, they stay connected. The communities are generally around 50 to 80 animals. They're the first non-human species in which there's what is known as structural balance. They follow kind of like humans do. You know, if I have a friend who has a friend, that friend becomes a friend of mine. It's that kind of structural balance where we stay connected. And the Hyrax community is all about staying connected. Everyone is considered equal. Just like we know the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And we need one another. The Bible says the ear cannot say to the nose, I don't need you. The foot cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. We need one another. We need that connection. There's a man who survived almost three years in a Nazi death camp. His name's Viktor Frankl. I'll show you his picture. He wrote a, a book. It's not a Christian book, but there's Christian principles in the book. I've read it multiple times. It's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Here's a man that knows what it means to survive. Like I said, three years in a Nazi death camp back in World War II. Only member of his family that survived. Everybody else was killed. He made it out alive. Years after he made it out, he wrote this book. And he explored this question, what is man's deepest need? And he determined that one of them is we need to be in relationships where we are unconditionally loved. Just the way that God loves us unconditionally. We need to be in relationships where we know that we're going to be looked after. We're going to be cared for. And those relationships, friends, don't just happen randomly by accident. 
And you've got to intentionally seek them out. You know, just because you're part of this church does not mean that you're living in community with the other people in the church. Just because you occupy a space with someone doesn't mean that you're in community with them. We need to be people who will share our lives with one another. We need to be connected like the Hyrex community. And there's a Greek word in the book of Acts. It's used about 20 times, 19 or 20, that has a special meaning for the church, and it's the word koinonia. And it means more than just fellowship. There's this interconnection. It describes people living together in a state of community that are doing life together, joint participation, sharing, crying, praying, rejoicing. It's the way that God created the family of God to be. It's difficult for us because we live in the United States where independence is king. We don't need one another. But in the body of Christ, the Scripture says we do need one another. In Acts chapter 2, it's one of the first places that uh, this word koinonia is used. Acts chapter 2 I want to begin reading the verse 42. Luke here is describing what the early church was like. Now, not, not their style of music. They were chanting, you know. They were probably worshiping on Saturday and Sunday. The church looked entirely different then than it does now, but there are certain spiritual characteristics, and one of them is this characteristic of koinonia. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Now this morning we shared in the Lord's Supper. Some of you will go to the Young at Heart Christmas dinner on Friday and you'll have a meal together. You're here. You're receiving teaching from your pastor, from your shepherd. I want you to notice, though, as good as all those things are, there's something else here that's vital if we want to experience koinonia, and it's prayer. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Our pastoral staff met this week just planning and dreaming and asking the Lord how to lead this great congregation in the years ahead. One of the things that we really felt was this January, instead of just a week of prayer, we always have a week of prayer. We always do that in some fashion. But this January, we're going to call not just encourage you, but really call you with spiritual authority. This is what we need to do. We're going to call you to 21 days of prayer in January and give you a prayer guide and give you opportunities to come together and pray. We have an opportunity tonight. If we want to build a community, if we want to do life together, oh, we can share a meal and we can listen to teaching 
But friends, let's not neglect this important aspect of koinonia, which is pray. Pray together. Verse 43 says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. <laughs> Why do you think that happened? It's because they prayed together. We all want signs and wonders. That doesn't happen because of a person or because of preaching. It happens because of prayer, because of the spiritual power and dynamics that prayer gives us. Verse 44, they met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. So proud of you. You shared your food with those in need this past month. 600 and some pounds of food we shared with those in need. Scripture goes on to say, while they're doing all this, they were praising God, and they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then, as a result, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Because as Viktor Frankl says, one of man's basic needs is to belong. And the koinonia gives the church the place for people to belong, not only to the kingdom of God, but to a local fellowship. But it's sad because we don't always live that way. <laughs> That's why Solomon says here, the hyraks make their homes among the rocks, and according to verse 24, they are exceedingly wise. We need to be as wise as the hyrax and understand we need one another. Not just to occupy space. We need one another. That sense of commitment. That sense of knowing that we might not always agree. Knowing that there might be other things out there that are more attractive. But being committed to the family of God that the Lord has placed you in. Years ago, a pastor by the name of John Fassett, or Fawcett, was a pastor of a poor church in England. He was a talented preacher, dynamic preacher, and another church in London called him to be their pastor. It was a very affluent church, a large church. He prayed, and as much as he hated to leave, he decided to take that fancy church in London. They packed up all their things, and after he and his wife had prepared to leave, one by one, members of their existing church came over to see them off. And during the goodbyes, his wife, whose name was Mary, said to her husband, John, I just can't bear to leave these people. These are the people God has called us to live amongst. And he thought for a moment, and he said, you know, neither can I. <laughs> we can't. This is our home. This is where we're committed. These are our people, and we're going to stay put. John Fawcett spent 54 years at a small fledgling church in England. And shortly after, he had made the decision to stay instead of taking the other church that was more affluent and was larger, he sat down and he 
began to pen these words that you might recognize. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. That great hymn was written by that pastor who understood what it meant to live in community. That's the power of koinonia, where we're committed to one another. We're committed to relationship. And if you've been trying to kind of carve out your own isolated existence, or you've gone from here to here to here, looking for something bigger or better, and instead ask God where he wants you, and then plant yourself fully committed into this idea of koinonia. We all need a group that we can laugh with, and we all need friends that we can cry with. We need that bond of community, that koinonia. That's really where church happens. Five years ago, I introduced to our congregation a very in-depth discipleship program. And for one year, we followed the church calendar. We started at Advent, 2014. We went to Christmas. We went to Epiphany. We went through Lent. We went through... I gave you devotionals that had daily readings. Some of you remember that. You know the fruit that I see of that? There's a Tuesday night group that started meeting five years ago over at Dennis and Janice Hendricks' house. They met specifically to go through the Life in Christ or Living in Christ series. It was a year-long series. But you know, since that time, <laughs> they continue to meet. That group has met for five years. They picnic together. They do activities together. They pray together. They've learned what it means to be like a hierax in the living community. And as they grow closer to God, they grow closer to one another. See, this is the thing that sometimes we, we think we're going to get really, really close to God, and then we're going to be alienated from people. But I want you to look at this triangle up here. Because this is really how it works. And maybe you've never thought of it this way. So here's life down here. This is life. We, as individuals, want to get closer to God. That's our goal, to glorify him. There are other people in our church, in our community, that are on that same journey getting closer to God. You notice something here? The closer you get to God, the closer you're going to be to one another. That's pretty cool. If you're down here, you might have some distance. But as you get closer to God, you get closer to other people because of this whole idea of community. Life is like that. The third and final checkpoint for the Hyrexes and hopefully for us is we need to know when to run to the rock. Not to one another, but to the rock. As I mentioned earlier, the Hyrax has these padded, kind of sweaty, suction cup quality feet, making them really adapted rock climbing. 
And they've learned that this unique skill puts them at an advantage over all their enemies. Because a wolf can't climb up a rock wall. So as a result, the hierarchs has learned that the rocks are the safest place for them. And that's really what Solomon says. Now, some of you probably have never heard of a hyrax. You didn't even know it was in the Bible. Well, I want you to know it's not just in the Bible one time. Hyraxes are also mentioned in Psalm chapter 104, verse 6 or 18. 104, 18 says, High in the mountains live uh, the wild goats, and the rocks form a refuge for the hyraxes. There it is. It only makes sense that when danger approaches, they run to the rocks and they take refuge. And that's what you and I need to do. And our rock is Jesus Christ alone. He's our rock. When trouble appears in our life, when trouble appears in our neighborhood, when trouble appears in our schools, when trouble appears in our church, we need to run to the rock of our salvation. Man, I love the way King James translates that verse in uh, Psalm uh, 61. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In the New Living Translation, it says the towering rock of safety. And some of you right now are in situations that you need to be like the Hyrax. You just need to run to the rock. There's some of you that need to start listening to the right voices in your life. Not those who are tearing you down. Not those that are full of gossip and backbiting. But those who will build you up. Those who will warn you according to the Word of God. Others of you think you're doing fine, just you and Jesus. But maybe today the Holy Spirit has shown you, no, this life of being a Christ follower is meant to do in community. I don't know how the Holy Spirit will apply this lesson to you, but I believe you will. But I think all of us need to run to the rock of our salvation. If your family's in trouble, run to the rocks. If your soul is troubled, run to the rocks. Years ago, there was a couple who came in and talked to me. They were having problems in their marriage. It was affecting their ability to parent uh, in a healthy way. I really didn't, I'm not a counselor. I really didn't have any answers other than to say, you know, you really need to start praying together. You really need to ask God to help you. And they were reluctant to do that because they thought they needed some kind of formal, fancy theological prayers. I said, no, just ask God to help you. This family decided that every night before bedtime, they would just gather and say a prayer. And every morning before they went their separate ways to school and to their job, they would gather and they would say a prayer. And within two or three years, it was a marvelous turnaround in that family because they knew that ultimately their help came from the Lord. 
And that's the way it should be for each of us. When we face opposition, when we face conflict, when we face crisis, whether it's a medical crisis or a financial crisis, we need first to run to the rock that is higher than I. God's your refuge. God alone is your safety net. And when trouble's near, I just encourage you to move to his direction in every possible way. Just like the feet of the hierarchs are biologically disposed, you know, to life on the rocks. The Bible says you and I are made in God's image. So you and I have that DNA. We are biologically disposed to run to the rock, to the presence of God Almighty. And as we do that, we'll find out that our life will work the way that God designed it to work. Every one of us has enemies all around us. The world's not a safe place. It can be tough. But friends, we can't afford to hide our heads in the sand. But neither does God expect us to go through life paranoid and paralyzed and fearful. He made us to survive. In fact, he made us not just to survive, but to thrive. That's the abundant life of John 10.10. To have a wonderful life here on earth. And one of the ways we can do that is to consider the hyrax. Who are you listening to? Are you heeding the warnings of God's word? Whose hand are you holding? Are you in community? I'm not just saying being part of an organization or a group of people. Are you in community? And where do you run when troubles come? I think we need to be more like this community of furry creatures. We need to be together. We need to know when to run to the rock. Father, I thank you for an opportunity to share your word. But Lord, it's not just the teaching or preaching of your word that changes us. It's the Holy Spirit who reveals the word to us. It's the Holy Spirit that can help us to apply the word. And God, today I just pray that each and every one of us will be open to what you want us to hear out of the teaching of Proverbs 30 today. Perhaps some of us need to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and heed the warnings. Perhaps some of us need to quiet, quit doing this on our own and find a connection, whether it's a Sunday school class or a connection group, whether it's a group of ladies that we can just have coffee with, whether it's men that can just gather and pray together. We need one another. And Lord, finally, all of us need to run to you because you are our shelter. You're our security. And God, we just want to close this service by indicating our need for you, the rock of our salvation.